0: This is the J. Scott Outdoors Podcast on Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing, brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider, and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, this is going to be a great episode on the J. Scott Outdoors podcast with my friend E.J. Pfister, who is a golf instructor uh, from Oklahoma and also uh, runs a company, owns and runs a company uh, that feeds deer. And uh, uh, it's a pretty unique story. And uh, EJ, E.J. and I have been friends for a long time and uh, he's worked with some of the best golfers in the world and has a real unique perspective on a lot of things and it's going to be a great episode. He's actually at the U.S. Open in Pennsylvania at Oakmont uh, and uh, is going to report in from from there and what he's uh, witnessed the last few days uh, out there on the practice rounds of the U.S. Open and then we're going to talk a little bit of Uh, Deer Nutrition, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, animal wellness, and uh, it's just uh, great to have a friend like EJ who loves to hunt and fish, uh, who also brings a a great business perspective uh, to the podcast here. So uh, guys, I want to thank you guys for listening. I also want to thank my sponsors, uh, Go Hunt Insider, um, Outdoorsman's Wilderness Athlete, uh, Western Hunter Magazine and Elk Hunter Magazine, Utah Hydrographics, and Phone Scope. And uh, guys, let's get right to this episode with EJ Pfister. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors Podcast. Today we have a special episode with my friend EJ Pfister. And I've known EJ for probably 20 years now, maybe more, uh, EJ. Uh, we met out on a golf course. I was caddying for stan utley back 20 some years ago and uh ej was playing where was that ej uh nike tour or something out in california i think
1: yeah it was out in uh out in uh near riverside
0: yeah riverside uh, maybe Mer- merino valley i think
1: merino valley yep correct and you were caddying for a good friend of mine stan and we got to talking about hunting and it was over
0: yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't a great practice round uh, for you and I. It was great, but for uh, Stan and the other people, uh, we, you and I, didn't get a lot done other than just talking, hunting, and um, uh, for the listeners out there, EJ uh, Fister lives in Oklahoma City, or actually lives in Edmond, correct?
1: Yes, just northeast of Oklahoma City, a little bit.
0: And uh, EJ played on the Oklahoma State golf team and was a uh, NCAA uh, national champion in what eighty nine or eighty eight?
1: EJ. Yeah, we won the team in uh, eighty eight, and then I won the individual in eighty nine. So it was a, it was a good time for me. It was a good place to go, and we had a lot of success. Of course, it didn't hurt that we had Verplank and Jeff Maggard and Michael Bradley and Brian Watts, and so it was we a heck were well armed, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah was well armed. <laughs> I'll bet you your uh, I'll bet you your second team squad could beat most teams. Uh, you know, the, your your number six through ten players could probably beat most uh, NCAA teams that year.
1: Well, I think that's what made us so good is the competition. Um, other than Verplank, he was he was uh, obviously winning a pro tournament as an amateur. He was pretty darn good. And he was our white stallion, and everyone wanted to chase him. But below him, the competition was pretty fierce for those other four spots. So. Ultimately, I I think it made us all better.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, quite a historical school to to go and play golf. Um, I know they've had just an unbelievable program and uh, even the last few years kicking out some great golfers, uh, uh, not to mention Ricky Fowler probably. one of the best golfers that's uh, doing really, really well right now. Who are some other players that uh, have been coming out of Oklahoma State?
1: Well, you have Hunter Mahan, and then you had Ricky, and then you have uh, Peter Uline. That class of uh, Kevin Tway, Ricky Fowler, and Peter, Peter Uline was pretty strong. And uh, I think Jordan Nieberg is getting close to, this may have been his last NCAA tournament, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, obviously from the British Open he had, he's a a good player as well. So uh, I think it's a little harder than it was back when I was in college. I think there's more universities with, with good programs, with great facilities, you know, so but also there's, there's more athletes, you know, Tiger made it cool to play golf. He made it cool to look strong and muscular. And so there's a lot more players and there's a lot more universities putting capital into improving their facilities and recruiting players. And, and so it's a little harder, I think now than, than when I was in school, but Oklahoma state still gets good players, you know, because of history and,
0: and tradition.
1: So, um, I hope they keep spitting out good players and more national championships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to watch the competition. I tell you, um, watching the NCAAs on, uh, TV, um, is uh, I think one of the most exciting uh, things to watch on golf. Um, you know, this last year, um, there was, there was some unbelievable, uh, uh, stories and such, uh, with, with I believe Oregon winning at home and, um, just uh, NCAA golf is obviously awesome to watch. EJ, uh, I have caught you. Where are you right now?
1: I am at, uh, I'm in Oakmont, Pennsylvania at the uh, U.S. Open with Kevin Tway and his dad. They uh, brought me on board. Well, his dad brought me on board probably in 2000 or 2001 to start helping him. And then it just kind of integrated into helping his son. Which uh, one of the coolest moments of my my life as a coach was when I They asked me to caddy for him, and he won the U.S. Junior up in Boston. And it was a chance for me to use all my past experiences and teaching, you know, to, to help him. And it was it was really cool, something I'll I'll never forget. So uh, the relationship has continued on, and uh, it's been good for everybody. And he called me and said, "Hey, come on up to the U.S. Open." So I've been out here. Uh, I got out here Sunday, been here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I was here for the Women's US Open with some girls I had taught as well. So I'm familiar with the venue and uh, it's a pretty special place. As you and I talked earlier, the history, the golf course, it's, it's just amazing. It's spectacular, the condition of the course right now.
0: You know, I've been watching when I can on TV um, some of the commentary and, you know, some of the analysis and. Um, I didn't realize it, but Oakmont has more USGA and PGA championships than any other course in in the U.S. It's held eight U.S. Opens, five U.S. Amateurs, three PGAs, and two U.S. Women Opens. Um, What, in your mind, E.J., makes Oakmont just the perfect place for a major championship?
1: Um, I think there's a lot of things. Um, The precision from... From all aspects, you got to drive the ball well. It's not necessarily a bomber's course either. Um, played uh, Ken played with Ernie Els today, and I think he probably hit two two drivers on the front nine. In an era now where we think bombing it and smashing it is a is a must to win a tournament, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case here. I think a lot of guys are going to be striving to get the ball into the fairway because the rough is so deep, thick, and lush that. Uh, even though they have done something smart and staggered it where the first cutter rough, isn't that bad. The second cut, it gets worse. And then it's, then it's unplayable almost it drops to the bottom. And it's, we were hitting L wedges and hoping to hit them 10 yards full swing, trying to get through it. It's so thick and lush. So um, I think it's, it demands precision off the tee and then the job's not over then because cut, the greens are so contoured that you're going to see guys probably not shooting at some of the flags. They're going to be shooting to the right or left, hoping the contour of the ground will, you know, move it closer to the flag. And then you're going to see guys hit right next to the flag and end up 50 feet. Um, so it's, you've got to use your head on which pin placements and where you're going to come at them from. And then some cases over the green might be better than, than short, uh, number 12, Number one, you know, they're so severely pitched with the people you'll see on TV. So it's, it's really demands a high level of precision, a uh, high level of intelligence and a lot of patience. Cause there's going to be some bogeys made. I found out that last time when Cabrera won, he made 18 bogeys wow. for the week. There was only like five pars on the round under five rounds under par.
0: Wow, I forget what um, Angel Cabrera's winning score was uh, in 2007, but it it had to be just over par, huh?
1: Yeah, it was right around par, or slightly over. I think. I don't know if he shot under par, but um, with 18 bogeys, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, he, had if he to did to a low, lot of birdies. Yeah, he had to make a ton of birdies, and and on two, I was walking with Bob Tway's, or with Kevin Tways' dad, and we were discussing that all the greens are to grade, there's no, I mean, which you very rarely see anymore. Everything's too great. If the whole approach is a downhill, the greens also slopes from front to back. Um, a lot of the holes, they leave the open front so you can roll the ball on if needed. Not a lot of force carries except for the par threes. So it's the, the design of it is genius. Um, and I asked the guys in the clubhouse if they changed anything, some of the members and they they changed the shape of a few of the greens to add more pin placements, but you wouldn't be able to tell. Um, they're just minor changes. So the, clo- the courses stood the test of time, which is uh, without a lot of changes. Um, other than cutting the trees down, uh, I forget when they did that, around 97 or something like that. But it's, it's just a great venue, and it's in perfect shape
0: i can't wait to watch it um, oakmont's known for very, very fast greens. Um, what were they rolling out there today if you had to guess
1: uh probably around uh, I think they were probably faster on Monday. They were closer to fifteen um <laughs> and that's and that's getting it on a level you know on a when they do that test or when they run that it's that's on a flat level surface um, some of these downhills. I don't, even, I don't even know, Jay, what you could guess. I mean, I heard they did not cut them for Tuesday morning as low as they were on Monday. And the course is perfectly playable right now. It's not uh, off the charts firm. Um, you can kind of control your ball if you're in the fairway. Um, but if it gets firm and fast, I don't know how they will, though. I think we're supposed to get some rain. So, and if that's the case, I think the scores will obviously be a little bit better because it's with the soft fairways, it won't roll into the rough as much, and they'll be able to be a little more aggressive on the approaches to some of the pin
0: placements. And EJ, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Oakmont is where the church pew bunkers are. Can you yes. describe those? What describe those for me?
1: Um, well, they're um, like they say they're they're a church pew, but in between. Uh, what I've, what looks to me different is they've made them deeper. So it's down the left side. The first set of them you'll see is on the left side of number three and the left side of number four. And if you barely go in them, <clears throat> you got a chance to play out, but you, if you hit it into the middle of them, it's so deep and the pews are so tall and the first set of them, they have tall wispy grass. So, um, you're down in those things and you have a long way to the green as well. Um, because they lengthen them because of the technology and how far our balls going now off the tee. They lengthen the church view bunkers on number three to extend past 300. So um, what they're trying to do is if you go in there, make a severe enough penalty that you cannot get to the green. You're going to have to lay up and then you're going to have to pitch it on. But they look cool on TV. And I think this is probably the only place or the place that started it. There may be some copies, but um, these are the original church pew and they are they're very distinct. I mean, you can't miss them when TV shows them and, and they're highly documented and talked about. So they're kind of neat. I wouldn't want to be in them, but they're kind of neat.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, that's pretty neat. Uh, today you got to play or follow around, uh, when Kevin was playing a practice round with the 94 champion Ernie Els. Um, is Ernie's swing ever been as graceful as it's always been EJ?
1: Yeah, I was talking to Bob, and uh, he's a big man. <clears throat> and Bob said he's gained weight, but he hasn't gained it in the stomach. It's like he's just gotten broader shouldered, thicker, um, just looks more like a line, uh, linebacker, but he's very funny, very, um, you can see why they call him the Big Easy. He was very uh, gracious to Kevin, um, willing to help him on, like just starting off from the very first hole on, some places that he might land it and let it release down to the front pins. Um, very gracious to the crowd, signed autographs, took pictures with the kids. Um, just just a great guy. That's the closest I've ever been to him uh, for the, that uh, amount of time. And he was very impressive to me with how uh, gracious and stuff he was to Kevin, the crowd, and, and uh, his swing is still the same. I mean, obviously everyone's aware of his master's disaster with the six-butt, but um, he handled it, couldn't have handled it any better in the press room after, so I just have a, a great amount of respect for him, and even more after being with him today.
0: I can imagine, yeah. He's one of those guys that he just seems to, you know, even though internally he may be, uh, you know, just fuming or or what have you, um, he seems to always handle every situation with grace, and um, he's been a great champion to watch over the years, and um, I, I just feel fortunate that, you know, been able to watch him for as long as we have and, you know, been able to see some of his great moments and it's great seeing him swing and, and playing well. Um, I want to ask you about a few of the other players. Um, obviously, uh, Ricky Fowler's got six top 10 finishes this year and, um, he's looking great. Uh, Dustin Johnson, Uh, Jordan Spieth obviously you have to pick Spieth uh, on on every tournament but you know Jason Day um, and I think Phil Mickelson I would love to see Phil um, be able to keep the ball in play Um, I think Oakmont only has two par fives um, so you know maybe keeping it in play in a great short game might be Mickelson's week what do you think of what do you think about those top players
1: well, it's like uh, we ran into Bones yesterday as caddy, and and Bob, uh, we engaged in conversation with him about it, and you know he's quick to point out that Phil has the lowest stroke average on the PGA Tour this year, which at forty five or forty six is pretty darn impressive. Um, so obviously he's having a very good year. Uh, the swing changes that he's made have obviously proved to be uh, better. Um, I think he never lacks confidence, and he never lacks a good short game. Uh Bones' only comment uh to us about it was that Phil uh with this venue because of the severity of some of the greens doesn't feel like you get enough green lights where you're just in the fairway and you're looking at the pin placement going, This is a no brainer, I'm taking it right at the hoop and I'm gonna stuff it. You know, because of the severity of the greens you can't always do that. And I think with Phil's personality um, he just likes to send it right there you know and with the contour it could bounce in the bunker it could bounce away 50 feet so i'm not speaking for phil on the the venue as far as how much he likes it but i kind of get the impression that i don't think he would put this on number one on his number one um, place of majors that uh, courses that he would prefer it doesn't mean that he can't win the tournament because
0: right you know, obviously it's not he's like he's well. like it you're saying he's like probably not out on the fairway licking his chops. Like I'm gonna go right after that pin. He's probably gonna have to play very defensive and what you're saying is that's sometimes not his his style. His style is to pedal down and, and go for it, which is why we all love him.
1: Yeah, correct. I think he's a very aggressive player because his short game's so good. It allows him the 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 freedom to be a little more aggressive because there's no consequence from a bad shot that he doesn't think he can handle, like a lot of players out here at this level, um, but uh, I think the green light is what separates him from a lot of the competition, where some guys would be a little hesitant, and I don't think those' so, scared and like Twain and I talked about today, a great shot isn't always rewarded here because the greens are so severe, yeah so um, I what do you hope think what do you think am about... a huge fan?
0: Yeah, what do you think about um, Ricky Fowler's chances?
1: Um I think when you get down to the Justin De- Justin uh um Jason Days, the Rory McIlroys, uh guys like that, uh, it's Dustin hard Johnson. it's hard to figure out. Yeah, Dustin Johnson. Um you know, it's it's such a fine line. Uh very fine line that it's I don't know how you could pick against any of them. I don't think this is a venue where a newbie is just going to come in here and dominate. Um, yeah. I think experience helps, um, seeing venues like this. And, um, so I would think those guys would have a very good chance to speed speed, but so well, um, that, um, with his confidence with the short stick that only helps him as well. So I hope an American wins obviously on us soil, but, uh, there's no guarantees because there's a lot of good players in the field.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, uh, from what I understand, Fox is uh, covering the tournament, and um, I'm actually excited to um, listen to Azinger. Um, he's one of my uh, favorite uh, uh, golf analysts, and uh, I think he's going to be, I don't know what they call it, but he's going to be the head um, a uh, broadcaster, I guess, for the tournament. So um, I think that's going to be pretty cool to listen to his perspective.
1: Well, I can tell you too, Dave, those guys work very hard at walking. Uh, there's guys, um, the Owen Browns, the, you know, their whole cast has been out there every single day, watching, observing, asking questions. What's your strategy? How are you going to play it? So I don't know how it'll come across to the viewer, but I can tell you it's not from lack of doing their homework to make sure they can bring the total experience to the viewer because they're working their tails off to take it all in and, and make sure they're well educated on every slope, every pin, every, you know, anything you could possibly want to know, you can see them out there and they're out there all day long, just walking the course, talking to players, talking to caddies. So, I'm anxious to see how it comes across on TV because just being here, it's special. And I hope they can portray that on the television. I hope they can do it justice.
0: Yeah, I hope they do. Um, I can't wait to watch it. I think it's going to be a great tournament. Uh, What's the weather forecast? Uh, Is there any major weather coming or or what, what are they saying?
1: No, there's a chance of showers, which um, I don't know if they have a sub air system here or not. Yeah, it may, if they have the sub air, they can suck it out. But I'm not sure if they have the sub air system below the surfaces of these greens or not. Um, it seems like today, most of the venues do have it, but I'm not sure if they have it here. And like I said, if we do get a little rain, um, it'll only make the scoring, scoring chances for, you know, improve. Um, so either way it'll still be a good, it'd be a good competition. It just might be a little lower scores if we get some moisture, but it's not supposed to be super windy. And I don't think it's going to be overly hot. Heck, it's been 77 to 80 degrees, not a breath of wind. It's just been perfect these last three days.
0: That's awesome. What time do you guys go out tomorrow?
1: I think Kev goes at uh, 105.
0: Nice. Who's he playing with? Do you know?
1: No, I'm not sure who he's playing with. Um, My work here is done. I actually now have to go to some meetings in uh, Chicago. For uh, my other venture that you're well aware of, so um, I'm switching gears here a little bit when I uh, leave here tomorrow morning.
0: Right on, EJ. Um, tell the listeners uh, other than golf instruction, uh, your other company, uh, your other business uh, that that you're in, and uh, tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, I was doing some, and I still do some when the when the economy was very good before the the last market dip. We, uh, we did a lot of outings with your buddy Stan Utley. And one of the gentlemen didn't like, or didn't think the golf instruction business model was a very good one. So he, he said, each week I you involved in something you're passionate about. And he said, do we need to get a golf course in, or do I need to build you a teaching center or a golf school? Or I said, no, none of that. So what are we going to do? I said, I want to do. De- I want to start a deer food company. He so said, where'd that come from? I go, well, my passion's always been boytails and I'd messed around in the past with some nutrition stuff. And, um, I worked on a business model for six months, flying back and forth from Chicago. And then finally, when I finished the business model, he said, let's go. And he started funding it. And that started four years ago. And so we build, uh, and it's a lot of it's based on Dr. Harry Jacobson's research from Mississippi state Studied whitetails there for 32 years. So he's the backbone of, of how we got started, added credibility to the company right away. And he manages ranches from Mexico to long Island. So we try to build a quality feed through different mills that I have in Texas, uh, Alabama kansas oklahoma uh we we build low fence free range pen raised deer uh we build feed for for those uh those type guys to and we we don't sell a you know a bill of goods ours our product we work from the inside out we try to help the rumen and the overall health of the animal and if we take care of our job if the genetics and age are there we can help with the uh Growth of the uh, and the health of the herd and the overall growth of the animal. And like I tell people, we're not the we're just part of the equation, we're not the answer, you know. So, in areas where there might be drought, we serve probably a little stronger effect, and in areas where there's a lot of moisture and perfect growth, we're probably not going to be as much of the answer. So, it's just part of the equation, and uh, it's been growing ever since we started and moving in the right direction.
0: And that company, uh, you're based out of Oklahoma?
1: Yeah, we're based out of Edmond, Oklahoma, Garland Animal Wellness Headquarters. Uh, the main hub is out of Chicago, where our, our investor group is. And then uh, our offices are in Edmond, Oklahoma. And like I said, we have two mills in Kansas that, that help me with uh, Kansas, the north side or the west side and east side. And then uh, and they help me with New Mexico. And then uh, I have three in Texas, because obviously Texas, it's a billion dollar business. Um, there's a lot of high fence and preserves and exotics and all that in Texas, and then I do some in Mississippi and Alabama. So it's so uh, E.J. It's fun.
0: translating um, what you were just saying, nutritious or, or healthy deer, deer that are uh, doing very well. Uh, tend to grow bigger antlers. Is that correct?
1: Well, if if you can keep them healthy, because uh, they're going to have, you know, to equate it to a human, cold, cough, fever, flu, you never know. Um, they could get, uh, during the rut, they could get stuck with an antler and get some infection. But if we can get stuff in their system to help them recover from the rut, from getting... You know gore by an antler or whatever, if we can help them with that and get the the body turned around and healthy again, more energy and effort can be spent on antler growth. more energy and effort can be spent on raising healthy fawns, um, helping them with their immune system. I use uh, an essential oils pack in my product. Um, our fat fiber and and energy levels and protein are are always at the optimal level based on dr harry's research at mississippi state so if i can keep those levels ideal um, and keep them healthy then like i said the energy can be spent on antler growth right now there's a lot going on fawns are dropping in oklahoma the antlers are growing does are lactating so there's a lot going on and there's a lot of pull on that the the body of a buck the body of a doe right now so uh, nutrition is is key ingredient uh, (laughs) in the success of keeping these animals healthy for the rest of the season.
0: When is, you know, for people out there that are going to feed when I hear you saying right after the rut. So are you saying from like, you know, December through, through summer is the best time to feed?
1: Well, a little of the misnomer is everyone targets bucks. Um, and from our perspective, from my perspective, Jay, if you, if your does are healthy, I guarantee you your doe, your your bucks are healthy because from all the studies, there's a guy, the gentleman named Dr. Hewitt, and his studies and Dr. Harry's studies are identical. And if you look like the life uh, of a buck and the life of a doe seasonally, um, you can grow giant bucks on 12% protein. Um, does need 16%. When do they need that? They need that from pretty much the time – um, they get pregnant until lactation's over. So if a guy says, when should I be feeding? I base it on the cycle of a doe because if he follows those rules, the buck's going to be just fine. Um, and then we go down to 13% protein because after lactation, their metabolism shuts down 20 to 25%. So they don't need the, the levels of protein in the, so we're trying to get them ready for rut. We're trying to keep them healthy during the rut. So, guys always ask me when's optimal feed time I I say you know as soon as they shed those those antlers you can start if you want and some guys do it year-round and some guys do not it depends on budget so then we got to build a a feeding program around a budget which you know we can help them with that as well so um, there's a lot of ways to do it but the guidelines for me are if the doe's healthy, your bucks are going to be perfect. You're going to do, you're going to be doing just fine with the bucks. I don't target bucks. I target the does.
0: And EJ, when a new property owner comes to you and you go, you go out personally and assess the property and don't you gather samples and such, um, and try and determine where the deer are at as far as their health. And then you try and, uh, you know, build them a formula (laughs) of, based on what you've found?
1: Yeah, what you try to do is figure out what what their habitat can support herd-wise, because um, you design the feeding program. How many head of deer do you want to feed? Well, should I be calling out does? Well, I don't know. Do you want to feed them? You know, do you want the spikes at the feeder? Do you want all the does at the feeder? So Dr. Harry has a formula that, you know, on acreage, we figure out how much available forage there is for them, And based on that, how many deer they can handle based on available forage, forage. And then if I can help them add some, um, feed to that area that they could hold, have a larger holding capacity, um, that's how we do it. And then based on that, we figure out how many feeders per, per, you know, depending on their side, 10 acres, 20 acres, 30 acres, depending on the available browse pasture versus woods. Um, so then we get in there and Dr. A say, well, that, that property can support five deer per 10 acres and they're going to eat two and a half pounds a day. And so based on that, I can tell them how many feeders to put in, what size feeders to put in and roughly what their consumption is going to be. If there's drought, the consumption may go up. And if it's a lush year for growing, like it is this year, consumption may go down. And then we can pull samples from the soil to figure out the soil deficiency, and we can design them a mineral based on the deficiency of the soil, not just a mineral that is just for anywhere in the United States. So we try to make the mineral specific to their area and their deficiency.
0: So do you have feed and mineral both? Yes. Is the mineral in the feed or is mineral separate that they're licking?
1: Most of the ingredients that is in our feed, as far as our proprietary premix, is also in the mineral. And in the mineral, I think where we separate ourselves is our carriers. A lot of people use corn or rice bran because the consumer says, oh, this deer is hammering my mineral lick. Well, they have to eat so much of it to get the, the nutritional value that... The competitors will put a lot of that stuff in there to see, to make sure that people are seeing the consumption level. Ours is our carrier. uh, We use a yeast product uh, that's way more nutritional and ours, they only require one and a half ounces. So if they touch their tongue to my mineral, they're almost getting a daily, their daily requirement um, of mineral for that, for that time. And we use only the best, the highest quality trace mineral packs you can get. Um, and so I'm not interested. I don't have to worry about um, using higher palatability ingredients with less nutritional value to keep my margins up, uh, because I don't have as many middlemen. I'm just interested in the highest quality ingredients with the highest palatability and nutritional value, so that I can get my customers to see the benefit of using the product through results. If they're letting them, if they're letting them walk letting them get their age on them. And if they have the right genetics, uh, I think it's, you know, it's a good formula.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, E.J., uh, you have people that are customers of yours that range from how many acres to how many acres? I mean, uh, small to big, correct?
1: Yes, uh, 30 acres at most, say, are pass-through properties where they're trying to get them to you know, hang in there a little longer or maybe stage because they know the, they have the right amount of cover, um, but their neighbor may have the food. So I'll try to help them lay out a plan where maybe they put a small food plot in, in a feeder to see if we can get them comfortable there with the coverage and the food. And maybe they hang in there during, you know, a little longer. So this, these individuals have a chance to to hunt them and those are 30 and then we have guys that have oh there's some customers I know our largest high fence is probably 15,000 acres and our overall largest private landowner is 68,000 acres.
0: Wow Wow. um have you had your product um have you fed your product to elk and and if so how has it gone?
1: Good I have uh who we cater to mostly, it seems, Jay, is longhorn steers, elk, and whitetails. That's why we call it Garland Animal Wellness, so we could expand. And uh, it's done very well with the longhorn steers. Um, we've done very well with elk. Um, and so, you know, fortunately for us, it's, uh, we feel good about it from a design perspective, and the results have shown That it is a good high quality product, so it's it's been fun because these landowners spend a lot of money. We have one customer that bought a buck for one hundred sixty thousand dollars. So when when someone tells you they want to use your feed, and they've spent that much on one animal, you know you go to bed at night and you better have (laughs) a clear conscience that you've got a very good product because you do not want to kill these animals. Yeah. And so he's been with us since day one, and the buck has done very, very well. It's a buck called Rampage, and uh, it's in Tulsa, and it's, it's a fantastic animal. He's getting up in age now, but uh, he produces fantastic offspring, and it's been a very good relationship, and he's helped us with our product and feedback, and, and luckily it's paid off for him in results. So it's been fun.
0: That's great. So you have a whole range of customers from... Uh, free range to high fence to breeder bucks to all sorts of stuff that are that are eating your product
1: yeah even little you know people that don't even hunt they'll come in and buy a little 50 pound feeder that straps to a tree just so they can see deer in their backyard and uh i try to help everybody it's 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 fun i enjoy the interaction it's just like the golf thing i mean the interaction and, and to feel people's passion for something i'm passionate about with the golf and the deer it's really pretty cool. I'm I'm pretty blessed to be able to, to be able to do two things that I love, uh, every single day. And sometimes it gets a little hectic balancing both. Don't get me wrong today and yesterday, you know, you're out on the course, you can't use your cell phone and your phone's lighting up with people. Hey, I need more feed. I need more feed. Can you give me more feeders? Can you (laughs) give me this? And it's like, just give me a little time. I got to take care of one thing and then I'll get back. So it's hectic, but it's like I said, as you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a love. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. It's a good problem to have.
0: That's, that's great. Uh, I remember um, you almost gave up teaching the day that you tried to give me a lesson. You, I remember you walking off scratching your head thinking <laughs> I, you've finally met your match of someone that you couldn't help. <laughs> well,
1: I guess it, I, I guess there's two kinds of pe- people I try to help uh, understand they might need to do something else and people I actually help. And I guess I help you convince yourself. You need to do something else,
0: <laughs> and look what it's
1: done. Your your career has skyrocketed in the hunting world. So I probably helped you. You probably owe me.
0: Yeah, I probably do owe you a commission for sure. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, EJ. Have you drawn anything, or do you have any hunts coming up this fall that you're eyeballing, or what do you got going on?
1: Well, um, as you know, because uh, you were the hel- you helped me understand. Um. And my passion's always been quality animals with a bow and arrow. So um, I started drawing that first year, if you remember, 3A and 3C. I think I drew it my first year, which is uh, 17 years ago because I have 18 points because I had one loyalty point. So I think I remember remember you were
0: living in Palm Springs that you were teaching golf out there and you came and had a uh, we actually camped in 3C. I think I had a client and you had a 4B tag. And now yep. you're sitting on 18 points in Arizona, which is which is awesome. Next year is probably going to be your year. Um, I thought you were going to say, well, I would have drawn in Utah, but you stole my tag, Jay, is what I thought you <laughs> were going to say. <laughs> you know, it
1: doesn't hurt having one of your good buddies who I know if anyone will appreciate it as much, if not more than me, it's you. So I'm ecstatic for you. I uh, I can't wait to hear the stories that come out of it. And it'd be pretty cool if you drew it this year and I drew it next year. Uh, that would for be, sure. that would even be better. But I also put in, um, your buddy Dar helped me, you know, cause you guys both helped me out as far as uh, I think I put in the strip archery and then the strip rifle for deer. And then I put in, uh, I put in for sheep as well in Arizona. So, um, awesome. those, neither do I have hopes that I'll, you know, I have no, no, and I'll probably draw them now that my expectations are virtually zero that I'll get any, (laughs) Um, I'll probably get one of them. But as a fallback, I have five Iowa bonus points. And so I'm going, um, my plan is to go to
0: Iowa this fall. Oh, that's great. Um, and Colorado, you did not draw either. Did you?
1: No, I have, uh, 12 or 13 elk points there, which I just really want to burn those up because, um, from what I talked to, you know, from talking to you and a lot of the resources that you've been nice enough to give to me as far as talking to guys, it doesn't sound like long-term, even if I kept on in Colorado, I'll do get to those premier units, so um, I'm probably going to do something muzzleloader next year-wise on that, depending on your thoughts about when we discuss Arizona next year and Utah, how strongly you feel about the chances of that I might just try to burn up the Colorado, um, uh, Colorado elk. So, um, I'm not, that's probably the least excited tag J or least excited state, even though I guess population wise, they probably more elk, you know, from what I read and understand than any other state. It just doesn't, it's not interesting me right now because my sites are set on Utah and Arizona.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have 17 points in Colorado for elk as well, and it's definitely not at the top of my list. One of these days, you know, just put in for maybe a high country hunt and just go have a good time and chase some bugles around. Um, but, you know, certainly if you're chasing size, uh, Utah and Arizona, uh, you know, get those you've got a bunch of points in both those states, you know, get those premium hunts out of the way and maybe then just take your time and enjoy a Colorado hunt would probably be wise. Um, so what you need to do
1: Well, I was thinking too, I don't know if any of these States it's transferable because my son's getting to the age now where the joy that I get of spending that he just turned 12. And fortunately in Oklahoma, we have an apprentice license where as long as I'm within arm's reach of him, or we can hunt together. And so that started at seven and some of the coolest now, they are the coolest hunts I've been on, and as you know, I've been fortunate to shoot a lot of animals all over the country at some very, really nice places. Um, those still are the fondest memories I have to date as far as hunting and sharing those experiences with my son and just the outdoors and and chasing the animals around and trying to get him to understand the respect that he needs to have uh, for the wildlife that we're fortunate to ch- uh, to chase around. It's just been it's been cool. So
0: I know he digging it, it.
1: No, he eats it up. That's awesome. Um, he, he just loves it. I haven't introduced him to the fly fishing, but, um, we're getting there. And, uh, I get jealous every time I look at your stuff and see those big browns and stuff you're catching. It's
0: just That's what I was going to say is you need to bag the golf and bag the, uh, <laughs> the deer feed, put, put the, put the, uh, telephone on uh, do not disturb and and uh get lost in aspen colorado for about a week <laughs> here well, about the second po- week of july it's <laughs>
1: because of this podcast i get an offer for the deer feed company that's appealing who knows i might end up there <laughs> you never know if i sell the deer feed company no telling what could happen but no it's uh fly fishing you know when i was playing the tour i, I was fortunate to be sponsored by g loomis so i've been to some incredible spots with gary loomis and I still have all the equipment and, and was, was blessed to be able to do all that. And it's just a part of my kid's life right now where, uh, it's all about them, which is fine. Um, I don't regret any minute, um, one minute of it, but I'm looking forward to the next stage when we can jump in the car and go fishing with Jay in Colorado or go hunting and, and stuff like that. But no, it's, it's all good. It's, uh, no regrets and, and we're moving on and. It's, it's fun. I enjoy it all. Like I said, I'm very blessed to be doing what I'm doing. with Two things I'm uh, passionate about, and not one day feels like work, you know. You wake up each day and say, darn it, i got to go out on the course at Oakmont at the U.S. Open and walk with Kevin and Ernie Els. I mean, who's
0: going to feel sorry for me? <laughs> Certainly not me. <laughs> exactly. I, I do have a funny funny story for you yesterday. Um, we got that new little um, raft, that little Flycraft stealth a uh, fly craft boat for when the water gets low around here. Um, my buddy here, Danny, we were putting the boat together and we looked at each other and I said, we can't just put this together and not go float it. And he goes, you want to go float the Roaring Fork now? And I said, yeah, let's go try it. You know, it's at like 3,600 CFS and cranking it. Um, we did. We went and floated it and had a had a great float, just a short float, couple mile float and just to see how the boat performed. But uh, he's like, you need to come out and play golf with me. And we were laughing because uh, (laughs) our friend, our friend from college golf days, um, Jess Wesley is the manager of Aspen Glen, which is probably the nicest course in the Valley here. And he's been the general manager for a long, long time. And Danny's like, you need to come out and play golf. And he was talking about our friend, Jess. And he's like, you're probably just like him. He's in, and if I laid a thousand dollars on the ground and said you have to come play golf you'd probably say oh, I want to go take a nap don't bother me and I said <laughs> yeah that's about it but uh, I, I still love the game I love to watch the game uh, it's it just everybody's safer if I don't play the game so well, including a lot of the myself patience.
1: It's a lot of the patience though Jay I think about growing up with my dad and how much time we spent fishing and hunting and I think um, there's a lot of times you go out, well, at least me, you're different. Uh, we wouldn't catch anything and we wouldn't kill anything, but we had a great time. And I think at the end of the day, the, the patience and the perseverance to want to get up early in the morning on a cold day in Buffalo, New York to go deer hunting. And you, and chances were, you weren't going to see a thing, but you still were excited. You wanted to go and you knew you had to walk slow. My dad was a still hunter. I mean, an unbelievably good hunter. And, uh, he would walk. 10 feet sit for an hour. we go 10 feet sitting again. I'm like, dad, we just sat 10. We just sat for an hour, 10 feet from here. You know, <laughs> oh no, this is a whole different view down here. Just, you know, and so I think a lot of that helped me with the mindset for golf to be able to handle the ebb and flow, the ups and downs, the, you know, of a golf career. And even in business, I mean, there's sometimes you just got to be patient and not push the issue it's it's going to be all right and so i think a lot of things you learn from golf help you with with everyday life and hunting and fishing so it all overlaps from my perspective
0: well that's that's great that you have that perspective and uh it's been great having you on the podcast and i'd like to give you a chance to tell the listeners where they can find uh you uh for your if they want to feed some deer or feed some elk, um, the website, uh, maybe Facebook or wherever you want people to to come find you?
1: Well, our website, I think is pretty unique because we don't jam a product down your throat. We try to tell a story. Um, and you can, you can click on, um, the digestive tract of a deer and, and learn about digestion. And so it's a lot of educational videos. And if, if at the end of those, you're, your move to call us, um, obviously my number's on there. If you wanted more information, I can send packets, but it's, (laughs) what's crazy is it's a lot easier to find me now through, uh, the deer feed than it is golf. So it, uh, but it's a good thing. Like I said, our website's garlandanimalwellness.com and, and, and I hope people enjoy it from an educational perspective, um, rather than jam, like I said, jamming a product. That's not what we're about. We want to tell you a story, tell you how we're different. And, and like I said, if you appreciate it and understand it, and are compelled to call us, just give us a call. And we'll see if we can help.
0: That's awesome, buddy. We'll have a great uh, have a great safe trip. Uh, I'll be anxious to watch uh, the U.S. Open, as I know you'll be uh, watching it in between meetings and such. And uh, uh, hopefully, Fox will do a great job, which I think they will, on the coverage. And um, should be a great uh, Sunday uh, to sit and watch golf and uh, see who comes out on top. I always love watching our national championship. It's um, probably my favorite tournament to watch. I love the Masters, and I love the U.S. Open. Uh, Each for, you know, they each have their own differences, Um, but I love the U.S. Open and the fact that it, you know, it brings a lot of guys to their knees, and for us, uh, you know, hackers, it's uh, nice sometimes to see you know, the best of the best, make a double bogey. And I know that sounds kind of funny, but um, I love it when a, when a winning score is, you know, one over par. And to see these guys grinding it out, um, I just think it makes for great television.
1: Well, I think too, Jay, in that perspective, when you look at and watch this event and you understand even par is what they want to be the winning score, it helps put the whole thing in perspective for you because they're not wanting 2,200 to win this event. Um, they're trying to identify the very best golfer, uh, in the field. And and like I said, and you've talked about, I think this venue is going to do that. I think we're going to figure out who the best golfer is, um, for our, for our United States open, which, um, something to be proud of, I think, I mean, it's a great product and I think they'll have a great champion and I appreciate you having me on. I mean, um, you've been a friend of mine forever and it's been cool to watch your career escalate escalate for, in this field. And I know how passionate you guys are about it, and it's it's cool. I'm happy for it, and I hope it continues on.
0: Right on, buddy. Sounds good. Well, God bless you, and I'll uh, catch you later. And um, yeah, be safe. I'll I'll catch you later. Okay.
1: All right. Appreciate it, Jay. Thank you.